Bigger than capes. Give me some more silence. Welcome to Bigger Than Capes, I'm Zach, and today I'm joined by the writer of self-made Rise of Ultraman and his current Kickstarter, Inferno Go Red, Matt Groom. So, hi Matt, how you doing? I'm very well, and thank you very much for having me. Love having a chance to, to uh, spread the word about the book, so I appreciate it, thank you. No, it's, it's great to have you, and um, I'm really looking forward to Inferno Go Red, so it'll be great to learn a little bit more from yourself. Thank you. Um, so, I guess to open up... Do you want to give us a little bit of a elevator pitch type thing for yeah, Inferno sure. Girl? So Inferno Girl Red is about a girl named Cassia who lives with her mother and they've had to bounce around from city to city uh, for most of her life because of some events that happened uh, in the past that left uh, Cassia's mother sort of unjustly regarded as a pariah. So Cassia's got a pretty... Um, dim view of a sort of justice and fairness in the world, but she gets something of a chance at a fresh start when she gets an invitation to a prestigious and slightly mysterious academy in Apex City. And Apex is this city that's very futuristic and progressive in terms of technology, but also they're trying some things socially and with community building. They're trying to like really push the concept of what a city can be. So it seems almost like sort of new utopian and uh, this, you know, Cassie's a little skeptical of that, but it, everything seems to be going well for her in a new school and new city until the entire city is literally ripped out of existence by a, a cult of um, like demon worshippers. And that sort of confirms Cassie's belief that, you know, uh, the other shoe will always drop. Um, yeah. So that things are in crisis until a dragon gauntlet rockets into her life and gives her the power to potentially turn things around. But the catch is that the gauntlet is powered by belief and that's not something that she's, had a lot of because of her life circumstances so that's kind of where we sort of kick off the drama and go from there yeah i mean it sounds great i thank you i'm, I'm very much on board um i know judging by how the kickstarter is going it seems like a lot of people are on board um yeah i feel uh, really <laughs> overwhelmed with um like the the numbers are like difficult for me to reckon with we're actually talking just before we started about how num- numbers have kind of lost meaning for me for many reasons um <laughs> but the 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 comments the fan art we've had like pixel fan art we've had custom figures it's just the people coming out of the woodwork to show their support in all manner of ways it's been so lovely yeah it's been really cool to see i think all of your updates and following everything on twitter as well it's been yeah there's a lot of enthusiasm which is really cool and it's nice to see everybody come together and be into something yeah right and like yeah no, like unironically like it's it's an earnest project we're earnest people and we're just like keen to do something cool and see people seem to responding to that and i dig that yeah no I, I completely agree i think um so we've talked on the podcast recently about how there's been a kind of rise of kind of um tokusatsu and sentai yeah. and kaiju comic books as of late which yes is really cool i feel like it's a lot of it feels like a lot of 90s kids are now making comics and yeah i think that that honestly <laughs> is a big part of it i think the stars are aligned on a few different things um 
part of it is that for legal reasons, Ultraman can finally come to the US and obviously that's yeah. been part of what um, why Carl and I have been able to start making inroads there. But the, the, there's just, yeah, a lot of factors that seem to be aligning and creating this this spike. And I think, as you said, some of it's just like but people who were into that stuff are now coming of age and they're sort of coming into the industry at a time when they have some decision-making power. Yeah. Um, but I also think there's like it it's a self um, perpetuating cycle in some ways of like uh, people see Toku stuff and they're like, Oh, this is cool. Is there any more like that? And it's like, yeah, there's a lot more like that. There's a whole world <laughs> yeah. and it is wild and you're only going to be profoundly rewarded by jumping in. And um, it's yeah. And it just sort of makes more fans. And I think that's, that's can only be a good thing. Yeah, definitely. It's a very good thing. And um, so I, I took some questions from the rest of, uh, we had a kind of a group discussion about, questions everyone had for you so I've, yeah. I've kind of got some questions of my own some questions from uh, Angela Will and Matt who are the usual co-hosts mm-hmm. so the first question that Matt had was do you have a favorite tokusatsu series or style series and if so what would it be right this moment I've, I've been watching Carmen Rider build and I've been talking um any anyone that is willing to listen has had that he has talked off by me about it because it's wild. It's a series that is about the moral cost of involving yourself in a war, even if it is for legitimate reasons and sort of like the rot of the soul and how you reckon with that. And it's also a show where the main character sometimes turns into the combination of a helicopter and a rose. And those two things exist at the same time and do not contradict each other somehow and both are played with total sincerity and to me that's like a magic trick that you could have this like genuinely complicated subject matter and say some very meaningful things about it like really get into that issue but also sometimes he's like half helicopter and half rose and that does not take away from that and like you could express these incredibly like painful ideas with this like colorful and and creative and expressive vibrant uh sort of like action and and light is like that i feel like that's something that you know we have a lot to learn from um that's yeah, one definitely. of the, the many lessons that i think don't could take could teach us so yeah, there's, there's so much. There's a whole world for people to discover, and coming right to build is my current obsession of like, oh my god, but we don't we don't do this here. We need to do more of this. Yeah, no, that yeah, that sounds pretty awesome, and I recommend it. I, I'm definitely going to check it out. I think I've I've got enough free time with the you know world being in turmoil everywhere. So yeah, and there's the a lot right of it's like 50 episodes, so like you know, um, a lot of meat there to enjoy. I look into it definitely. Um, and I'm sure Matt will as well. Um, <laughs> um, so, as we mentioned, there has been an increase of uh, tokusatsu media, or comic books at least, in the last year, year or two, last few years. Yeah. Um, so, obviously, yourself, you're working on Ultraman for Marvel at the moment with yep. uh, Kyle Higgins. Uh, mm-hmm. Kyle himself is working on Radiant Black. Sure is. What would you say sets Infernal Go Red apart from all of the other similar media we've got at the moment. I, I think we're taking, a, carving out a slightly different space in it, um, in that it is very much a 
teen story um mm. but because it is a, a a series about both the power and danger of belief both in yourself and belief in what the world can be i think when you're a teen that's a time when that has a particular power because you're making some decisions about your life that aren't necessarily permanent, but can set you down a, tr- a track that will last a long time. And mm, that's true. Y- your your ability to imagine better for yourself um, and the world is highly influential at that point, but also the risks of you um, getting lost to self-delusion, like the, the bad form of belief is particularly high as well. So I think that's really potent. Um, and I think the other thing too is this is an OGN, which... Um, it you know that might not seem so significant but i'm a big believer in writing to format and when i was writing self-made um that was single issues and like i loved it and we we really went out of our way to make sure that every issue felt like a whole unit and it um that, that we're taking advantage of that format but i also think that uh doing an ogn and really sort of take advantage of that format allows us to i mean really treat it more like a, a traditional novel like we have a bit more time for downtime we can't we're not like rushing to get to cliffhangers every 20 pages you know we're not trying to do mm. that like you know vertical takeoff and landing up and down up and down constantly yeah. um which you kind of have to do rightly to do single issues but we're trying to do open things up and explore things which isn't to say like it's going to be slow paced like it's going to be we're going to be you know, rocketing out the stables and not slowing down. But it's, um, I think it's a format that I hope will be kind of accessible, you know. Um, yeah. As, as I said, like a bit big into floppies, but I do think that if we're trying to welcome people in, which is, I think is very important, um, a, a novel as a format is particularly accessible and everything about this project, we've really gone out of our way to make sure as much as like we're pulling from a lot of different um things that we're passionate about and some of it is quite niche like none of it is ever meant to be um excluding people and we want to make something that feels like you know anybody can get invested in and get it sort of on board on the ground floor that is completely fair i um i I do agree as well i think the the graphic novel is more accessible for a lot of people and whilst both formats are good i think especially like through kickstarter it's nice to have a full finish story rather than kind of endless Kickstarters for single issues. So it's a nice yeah. Th- that's the thing, right? And like, I don't begrudge anyone who does the, the, like the single issues on Kickstarter thing because the amount of oh, money no, of it course, costs yeah. to make a kick like uh, an OGN is uh, wild, you know. And <laughs> yeah, um, particularly a new property. Um, obviously, I, there's a lot of sort of like you know privilege on my part. We had a lot of things working in our favor, but I had no idea that we'd hit our goal at all let alone mm. hit it in 24 hours um so yeah it's it's all a risk but i wanted to do it this way like we all did because we believed that the the graphic novel format was the right form for the story and also we were very uh i mean we we love this world and these characters so much that we didn't want to let anybody else have control of them and that was sort of like mm. the options on the table were, were either let you know sell off the rights and then get somebody to make this thing or do it as single issues and that'll raise the the money to make this thing um but we chose the third option which is just ask the support and do it in the way that we think is right and not 
sort of compromise at all. And the fact that people are, are into that is a great relief and means a lot to me. That makes good sense to me. Eh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the team that you're working with for this book, it's, it's yourself, um, yep. Eric Adioso, mm-hmm. um, Igor Monsi, and Kyle Higgins. Yes. Everyone, right? uh, and Becca Carey on letters. Oh, and Becca Carey, of course, um, who... Uh, is also lettering something else I've just read recently. Reading, uh, reading Black, Black? Obviously. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Se- seems obvious when you. Put <laughs> <together>. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, what is it that's brought you all together as a team? Obviously, you and Kyle Higgins have worked together in mm. some other places as well. So, that, I assume that was a existing relationship. Yeah, Kyle and I are, are buds. We've um, been super close for years and years now, and I think. Um, it's interesting. People ask like, oh, what's it like working with Carl Higgins, the editor versus Carl Higgins, the co-writer? And I find it a little funny because um, Kyle and I are close enough that whatever the, the like either of us are working on respectively, we're going to have a little involvement either way in varying degrees. And then it comes time to codify it at a certain point. Someone else is like, oh, what do we put on the, you know, like yeah, we have to write down what, what it is. It's like, <laughs> uh, he's the a- editor. Um, and I, I think, you know, it, it's just about, say on Ultraman, we're both throwing out ideas and then both giving each other notes and it's sort of a collaborative build. This is a little bit more just, you know, I throw out ideas and he has some helpful suggestions, both, um, as in the narrative sense, but also he's a very experienced creator and comic creator. And yeah, of course. that, that is a world that, um, I think some people don't necessarily understand all the time is, um there's so much more to it than writing. You spend like 30% of your time writing and 70% project managing and learning about paper stock and making decisions about trade dress and all sorts of things. So <laughs> any guidance there is appreciated. Uh, mm. and th- so it started sort of like as Kyle and I as the little, uh, like the, the kernel of the team. And then we started building out from there. And I think finding Erica was the the point in which I was really, I felt like, oh, okay, this is going to happen. We're going to do this. It's going to, it's going to work out because we're looking for someone who could both do the the real personal drama and have like that intensity and like heartfelt emotion but also mm-hmm. like huge dynamic big scale action and erica fit that perfectly but uh th- then when we brought her on we discovered and frankly i think she she discovered that she has this incredible talent for well building and design um the characters have this specificity to them from fashion to just sort of how they carry themselves, but the design of the costume, the design of the city, design of this world, it mm. all has a specificity that is, it feels so tangible, but it's also unlike anything else. And it's because she's just so passionate and has as much opinion about all of this as I do, which is, um, uh, so rare uh, that that anybody could care about this as much as I I do kind of like seems almost impossible to me because I'm obsessed. Um, so we've got the same level of um, intensity, and I think that that works out really well. And I, I think uh, when when it came time to look for colorists, part of what the discussion uh, Eric and I had about the look of the book was we wanted to try and create or imagine what superhero comics might look in, you know, three, five years time and try okay. and push it forward and be like, because you know, comics can be a kind of, you know, backwards looking medium. Sometimes it's very obsessed mm-hmm. with its own history and like, you know, for, um, for good and ill. And I think with this week, your project again, with accessibility in mind, we're like, let's try and instead 
just move forward and have it feel like it's something that feels modern and young and inventive. And we knew that we needed a colorist of a particular sort for that. Mm. Um, and when we were looking for colorists, we saw Igor's work on Mega Man Fully Charged. And the palette on that was just incredible. Like it's so vibrant. But I think the key with Igor is that rather than it just being like overwhelming, it's like Skittles, it's a million colors. It's incredibly vibrant, vibrant, but he guides you through the tonality of the scene so carefully. So all of the intensity of the color really means something. And I think that's like, you know, bringing it back to Tokusatsu, that's what you want, right? Is like everything's intense, everything's overblown, but it's also a genuine expression of emotion. And it has to be not just like wild and like random. It's it's very intentional. Mm. Um, so he had that. And then uh Becker, as as I think you sort of stumbled across yourself, was a very like easy one because <laughs> Becker has already been uh engaged in that process of like, okay, how can we modernize things? Um, on mm. Radio Black. From everything from like thought balloons to captions, it, she's already exploring like, okay, these are conventions, but let's try and push it a little bit. And we sort of came to her because we knew she had that approach and that energy. And we said like, we want some of that. Um, but specifically for our sample pages, we've got these two superpowered beings who are expressing themselves in color and energy in this fight. And we want that to come through in their voices as well. And we want to do that without sacrificing any of the legibility of the readability or, or making it look messy and just like knocked it out of the park. So I've, yeah, the, mm. the whole team, I've just been blown away by their contributions. That's, that sounds really awesome. That sounds like a good team with a lot of reasoning behind what's brought you all together, which is kind of cool. Yeah, I, I honestly feel like the luckiest man in the world. Um, it's it's really worked out in my favor. <laughs> <laughs> well, this, you know, it's not a bad thing. And at least you know, that's good. That's it. That's it. <laughs> I, I So there's a couple of things you mentioned that I'd, I'd like to dig into a little bit. Uh, so yeah. firstly, I think all, all the art that's been put up on the Kickstarter and the kind of character designs and things like that are all really, really good and really super cool. Uh-huh. Um, it, it was interesting because I was like, I think for, for me, I was like the character design with the kind of full Inferno Girl red suit is super cool. And yes. I guess the um, the old Power Rangers fan in me immediately was like, I'm really into this. This is super cool. Yeah. Uh, much much the same as Radiant Black was. Whereas for my girlfriend, kind of the plain clothes character designs, she thought we were, were cooler than that. So yeah, look, I, I hate to ever like um, gender this sort of thing, but that has been um experience that i've noticed very much right like um mm. f- from friends to p- people online um you know it's it, it's not necessarily exactly split like that but there's you know a lot of guys that are like that suit is awesome and then <laughs> uh, a, a lot of ladies who are like those clothes are awesome <laughs> and both people are correct so like nobody's yeah, yeah, wrong <laughs> yeah. it's um it's unfortunate that we are all that predictable but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, and, and I think too, it's like, um, as much as that might be like the first appeals, I think it, it's like, it's all for America, right? And I think that it's just different expressions of the same ideas and the same talent. And I, and I yeah. appreciate both halves, you know, like the, the looking at all of the characters through Erica's eyes gave me a much better understanding of who they are 
you know, she, mm. she like takes these ideas that are quite conceptual and it's like, okay, but this is their lived experience. And I'm just like, oh, okay. And now I know the implications <laughs> of that. Let's carry that forward. And that's what you want in comics, right? Like comics is only yeah. collaboration. And if, if someone can take your stuff and make it better and then that, you know, gives you fuel moving forward, then that's, that's the dream. Yeah, definitely. I think it's, it's, it's nice. And it does feel like from all the, everything that's been said on the Kickstarter page, all the, interviews i've read it feels like both of you have had a massive contribution i know sometimes yeah. there's there's projects that seem like you know the writer has pulled everything in one direction or the artist it's yeah. nice to see that everything seems really collaborative and like everybody's bringing something to yeah the overall I, I, world there's a lot of respect right i think um everybody involved is uh, if you really care about the world and the characters ultimately you want to see, succeed, succeed almost um, separate from yourself. So if Eric yeah. comes in with a better mm-hmm. idea than my idea, then great. That is only good for the project, and that makes me very happy. Um, and that as long as everybody on the team has that attitude and, and they really seem to, then I think you've you've got a winning combination, especially when they're all really talented yeah. people, right? Because it's only good ideas coming in. So, yeah. Yeah, no, that's, that's very fair. Um, the, the other thing I was going to mention that you brought up was about kind of pushing forward and looking at uh, the future of comics and yeah. trying to make this feel different. Um, I, and I think that is something you touched on it with Radiant Black. I think the design work throughout yeah. and the uh, the lettering, things like that, have all felt kind of very kind of conscious of how other comics look and trying to move forward. And I think that's definitely a benefit you've got because you kind of work in on something that feels new and looks different, but also obviously draws upon history that you don't have to be too hung up on because yes. it's not the history of your own world, but there's plenty of inspiration and style to, which is a nice combination that a lot of comics, especially superhero comics don't get. <laughs> yeah. It's um. so I, I have a day job. I work in, um, uh, at a branding design and strategy agency down here in Australia. Mm. And that I think sometimes branding can be sort of understood to be a, a dirty word, which I, get right because there's you know corporations that t- take that idea and make it so gross but at, at its core of branding is this idea that if you are something then everywhere you show up every way you express should represent that right and mm. that often gets lost in comics especially through graphic design and it bends my mind it, it, it like it drives me wild seeing a beautiful cover representing the work of a phenomenally talented creative team with just some shit slapped across it that looks so <laughs> ill-considered you know it drives me wild because it's like you've got like world's finest talent all over this thing and mm-hmm. you're just like smearing some shit across the front of it and i was like I, I can't reckon with how anybody thinks that's okay. So design is, a, is, a, is as much a part of it for me as anything. Um, and that's why for this particular project, I actually um, went to the, you know, my bosses at, at my agency. I was like, hey, do you want to just like be a part of this? And like, you know, because it's a small, cool, independent company. They're like, hell yeah, let's do it. <laughs> so they're just in charge of the design. Um, and I think that's why like everything feels cohesive because for every single part of it, I went to people who know their stuff because there's no part of yeah. it that, that should be, um, like if I'm asking people for a lot of money, 
Uh, and if I'm doing that, they deserve to have everybody that touches it be at the top of their game, even for rewards. Like um, we're doing these like prop replica helmets that are like fully wearable yeah. and full size. Um, and it, like I didn't want to do anything like cheap and plasticky and crappy. I I went to a um, we found a guy who hand makes them and does just this like profoundly beautiful work, and that you know that it. it it's they're only going to end up in the hands of like 10 to 20 people, but it's, it's part of the thing and yeah. it, it has to be of that level. So, yeah. That, that's completely fair. And I, I think it is good to, you know, aim for the best of everything, especially with yeah. something that's being funded so quickly and so many people are interested in, I think it's good to, to go for the best. Yeah. And I think like there's kind of an inverse relationship there, you know, like if, uh, if people get a sense that it, but people want to want to be a part of something big, right? And the mm. key to making something feel big when like it is small and like no one's backed it yet, for example, is making it seem like you can imagine like with Inferno Go Red, once everything is bigger and like there's a lot more people involved, everything is already ready for that. Like the platform is there. Nothing looks kind of unfinished or unpolished or creaky. Um, at least to my mind. So people aren't like, oh, like, is this thing going to like go off the rails? You've got to, you've got to be ready mm. and showing up in all forms. So I think, yeah, I think it's really key. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. Um, so we've, we've obviously touched on it a few times that this is coming out through Kickstarter and there's a little, about, little over a week to go when we record. Well, well, at the time of recording, there's a little over a week to go. Yep. Um, what was it that led you to Kickstarter for this project rather than obviously you've had books out through Image and Image is the only one that comes to mind other than Marvel and DC. And DC, yeah. Um, yeah. It, necessity, really. I think, well, I mean, it, necessity if we were committed to this path, which we really were. And that, that path is twofold. It's creator-owned. We did not want to sell this to anybody because we feel too strongly about it to hand over its destiny to anybody else. And we wanted it to be an OGN mm. and an OGN for a brand new property is a profoundly financially risky proposition. Um, and it became clear that we would need to, you know, fund it ourselves if we were going to go that path. And that's fine in terms of creative costs for me, because like I have a day job, but I can write in the evenings and like I've already done an extremely detailed outline and most of the script is done and I can do that in the evenings because frankly, writing is easier than art. <laughs> and I, I, it's just, I can do that. But Erica has months and months and months of her life to make this thing happen. It's going to be a mm. lot of time for Igor. It's going to be a lot of time for Becca and they need to be able to, um, you know, pay rent and put food on the table um, mm. while they're working on this project so there, there just really wasn't any other way to get the money for that to happen um, without sort of like, you know, giving away more than we were willing to. So we figured we'd roll the dice and ask people. Um, and I, I spoke to a lot of people from a lot of different backgrounds and a lot of people said like, look, I get it, but just do single issues. You know, not, it's not exactly what you want, but, you know, you get to bite to uh, bite to the cherry you get to like you make some money from the singles you make some money for the trade it's just it's better financials and they're not wrong right but mm. um the, the the lesson of this project for me is is just like believe in your intent and like don't don't people know when you are 
not compromising, you're doing something you really believe in and, and that mm. can be rewarded. And I think that's the, that's the sort of, um, yeah, that's the lesson here. And I think that's, that's why we brought it to Kickstarter and it's my first Kickstarter. So I didn't really know what to expect. And yeah. we had a phenomenal amount of work, but as I, as I've been saying, the response just has made it all worth it. So I wasn't necessarily expecting the community aspect of it, but that would be a reason for me to return for sure, because people have been incredible. That makes a lot of sense. I, can understand that and um, i think that there's something nice about if, if you wanted to do a graphic novel going for the graphic novel route i think you can tell sometimes when people when, when comics come out in singles when people have not wanted that to be the format um, yeah it's been a complaint i've made a lot because there seems to be a lot of like european books that are being released for the american audience so they're coming out in singles when they were clearly never written as singles and you can kind of see the um contrast there so i I think the the straight to trade graphic novel approach is is a good one, and I'm I'm all there for it. So yeah, it's just the more honest to to me, you know. Like I I, I really believe in writing to form, and mm. um, and, and each form has its own strengths and and its its own sort of yeah beauty, but they're not they're not interchangeable. You can't just swap one for the other, and um, yeah, I think it would have felt disingenuous if we tried to pretend that that's what we were up to with this, you know yeah of course um so you've mentioned this is your first kickstarter project um it's it's been an extremely successful kickstarter project at this point yeah um which is awesome to see i um i think the f- I, I do wonder how many people came across this so that it was in, in the back of the first issue of radiant black mm-hmm. i think was the initial promo yeah um which uh, so we reviewed the first issue of radiant black on the podcast and then we kind of got hung up on that and I was trying to search whilst we were recording to find more information and couldn't. Um, and I, I wanted to ask the question um, and I, I'm set up for this to be a fairly disappointing answer, but here okay. we are. All right. um, what was the reason that you changed from Dragon Girl Red to Inferno Girl Red? It, yeah, there, there were a couple of factors involved. Some of them are like kind of boring inside baseball like industry legal stuff that's not i don't okay. think it's worth anybody's time getting into but also i think that that there was a few yeah like talking to people you know behind the scenes about the project people often sort of got kind of a like a girl with a dragon tattoo vibe because of the amount of shared okay, words yeah. And then we're also, as, as much as there is, like, it has a big tokusatsu influence, which is, you know, obvious and we've talked about a lot. There's also yeah. a lot of other influences, um, like the, the boys with drama and there's a lot of American comics in there and a lot of sort of like near future sci-fi stuff. Mm-hmm. And we were worried that the dragon element of it up front, it started to come across a little like you might say kind of like orientalist like it's like we were really trying okay, to yeah. like mind that and we we didn't want to do that you know we wanted to make clear that it's like yeah there's an influence there but this you know mm. we're, we're not trying to you know replace the japanese cultural experience we don't have that ability or intention yeah, so let's try and take a few steps away from that so there are a few factors so at a certain point we're like yeah it sucks that the first ad went out and it's gonna be a little weird but let's let let's um take it in a slightly more appropriate direction no that that makes a lot of sense um I, that's actually ties into a conversation i had 
yesterday, I, I've had recently with uh, one of the co-hosts uh, where he was talking about the fact that obviously it's a genre that has largely been, you know, Japanese based and yeah. um, it, it is a contrast. But then we got into the idea that, well, since Power Rangers has been, you know, around for th- nearly 30 years now, yeah, um, th- there's obviously been a crossover where as much as the origins are Japanese, we've seen kind of a transition where there's almost as much of the American well okay not almost as much but a lot of the lot, American equivalent yeah yeah, yeah it, it, it's it's difficult waters to navigate right because I think we never want to be you know culturally appropriating um, mm. and we never want to present ourselves as like the authentic tokusatsu experience because that's not the case um, and it's like we thought about a lot with Ultraman right because that's more directly like that's just Ultraman like this is yeah. tokusatsu <laughs> Um, and I think sort of where, and, you know, t- to whatever extent, this is me convincing myself, maybe, I don't know, but, um, I, I there's Ultraman comics already in that yeah. there is an Ultraman manga and it's by Japanese people. And that is how it should be in that. And like, there will be, and will continue to be work by Japanese people about Ultraman in comics. But, mm. um, what, what gave me some faith that maybe like this was an okay thing to do was that it was explicitly super I the people who controlled trans like idea and intention to find out what the Western perspective on Ultraman might be. It's like, what, how might it be different? Like, how might it be like fun and interesting to see this kind of recontextualized in a similar way to, um, I don't know if you're familiar with Japanese Spider-Man, um, the show is like, that is fantastic and and bizarre and and a a real sort of like cultural artifact and i think the world is better for it existing um and it it doesn't make any claim to like this is the new spider-man to replace (laughs) the old spider-man it's just just different um so that's sort of like kind of the how i think about it want to try and be in that space of like let's explore different things in different ways um let's see how that can be additive let's try and like genuinely and open-mindedly learn like try and see what we can learn as storytellers from this stuff, but don't ever like rely on it. Don't present yourself as like an authentic sort of like soul um, source of it and try and be respectful. Yeah, no, that's, I think that's a, a valid and interesting approach and kind of seeing the kind of what you've been doing with Ultraman and seeing that kind of comparison between the two is really interesting. I know we've seen um oh god, what's the other comic? My my poor Radio Black? Uh, um no. I, I was going Ultraman with this. Um Ultra Mega. So we've, Ultra we've seen Mega. Ultra Mega yeah, at yeah, the yeah, same yeah. time. So yeah. there's been a, a sudden variety of Ultramans. Ultraman. Mm-hmm. Ultra I'm not sure what the correct word would be for that. I think ultras Ultra. is the plural uh, officially, but um Yes, yeah. I think it is actually. Yeah. yeah. Um so so we've seen it's it's interesting to see a few different versions of ultra of, can't do words. A few different <laughs> versions of ultras all at the same time, all from yeah. different creators, all in different styles. Um and they've all been very different but very good. So I like the it's nice to see everyone trying different things. Again, the same with um obviously we've got Radiant Black, we've got the ongoing Power Rangers, we've got yep. Um, Inferno Girl Red. So it's it's nice to see similar ideas taking different directions and being taken to different places by different creators. Yeah, I think it's an exciting time, right? Just like seeing like what we can learn and and um, what you know we can 
do with just this injection of like a slightly different set of inspirations um even mm. down to like uh, as much as i think you know you're looking in front of a red's costume and obviously there's like some sentai and kamen rider visual inspiration but to yeah. me the, the, the more interesting part has been what can we learn uh narratively from tokusatsu like how do they approach stories mm. um in a way and i think that there's a lot that could be really beneficial for Western superhero storytelling generally, generally because superheroes over here are often defenders of the status quo, right? Like they don't have a defined mission, particularly they're just like, keep everything as it is, (laughs) Uh, which isn't necessarily the best thing in a time when a lot of stuff like the status quo is bad for a lot of people. Um, and maybe what we need for, from superheroes is a bit more of a an active approach. And I think that th- there's a, a a richer model for that in Tokusatsu with characters that uh, they have these defined missions and they have a specific goal and they're out to change the world to not like keep it the same. And they're not at all afraid of ending stories, which I think is so admirable. Um, the, yeah, like, you know, like you look at um, like Kamen Rider, for example, they'll do 50 episodes, but they'll do 50 episodes in a year. And then, you know, maybe that Kamen Rider mm. will pop up once or twice again, but they're done and it's time for something new. And that's, that's healthy, I think. So yeah, there's yeah. a lot, there's a lot to learn there. I think then the more, the more we look for inspiration with that genuine, not like, oh yeah, let's use some of that to make it look cool. But like, yeah, yeah. what can we learn? I think, yeah, there's, there's a lot of healthy growth potential there that's that's very true i it's something i've been frustrated by a lot as the longer i read kind of um, american superhero comics the more yeah. annoying it is when pe- no one ever gets an ending or if they do they get an ending for like a month and then they're back um so it's it's nice to approach something with the idea that it can finish i think <laughs> yeah and like it to me it's uh <laughs> it's exciting and it's healthy like things end mm. and that's part of the human experience and we need to find some way of, of dealing with that and accepting that and um but both ultraman and inferno go red like going in i was like look i'm gonna do this it has an end you know and w- whether we get to that or not um obviously depends on the our fortunes and and the support of the audience but um i have no intention of, of keeping either of them sort of like sitting around forever in this perennial state of arrested development. It's we've got a path and there's an end of a path and, you know, part of the journey is the end. Yeah. Endings are good things. Yeah. Good things. Um, <clears throat> so one of the things that interested me with this, so as I've mentioned, we saw the advert for Inferno Go Red in the back of the first issue of Radiant Black. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what interested me is my immediate reaction to that was, Hey, it's Matt Groom who did Self-Made. Self-Made was great. And oh, I, yeah. I think when, when I read Self-Made, my immediate thing was like, why hasn't Matt Groom done any other books? <laughs> yeah. Why isn't Matt uh, Groom doing any other books? You should yeah, speak to some editors. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, it was interesting to me that that was, my thing was, hey, I, I'm definitely going to look into this. And then one of the other co-hosts, Matt, his immediate reaction was, I know that name. Oh, Matt Groom co-host the Power Rangers podcast I listen to. So it That's was, also true. Yeah. So it's an interesting kind of contrast that whilst I think the appeal of the 
overall premise of Infernal Go Red, it was interesting to me that both of us were just like, hey, I know who this is and I'm interested. Yeah. So I, I think that that's been a, a feels like it's probably been a positive thing for the Kickstarter because some people are coming for the Tokusatsu and then some people are probably coming because they know who you are or know who Erica is or know who whoever Hugely. is. Yeah, um, absolutely. And and I like I am you know so grateful that that's the case. And I also think to come back to that idea of branding, right? Like I think that. Mm. Um, you know, it feels kind of icky to ever just describe yourself in brand terms, but I do genuinely think that part of my brand is just like earnest self-expression and that sort of like the the podcast is like, you know, a very particular weird version of that and self-made is a very different, very particular word ver- weird version of that. But what it means is that there, there can be a convergence of like, if you like either of those things, then, you know, you're probably going to like Inferno Go Red because it, it is that, um, again, in its own way, but it has that connective thread. And I think mm. um, part of the team building that, that we've done on the book is like, you know, maintaining that everyone that's come on board is that particular sort of like excited and earnest, like no one's too cool, too cool, too cool for school. Like we're all dorky. <laughs> we're all passionate. Uh, and that's kind of what we're all about. And I think that is a community um, of people that exist out in the world. And, and uh, we want to bring all those people in, you know? Yeah, no, definitely. And I think, you know, the the, the geeky, passionate people make the super cool things. That's, Damn right they do. Absolutely. Yeah, and that's yeah. where we are now. So that's cool. Yeah. Um, I don't have, that's, that's the end of all the questions I had. Um, is there anything else you'd like to say or talk about with Inferno Go Red? Is there anything? This is this is your platform. You can go in whatever direction you want. Uh well, w- within reason. This could get really weird if not. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I have I have some uh, <laughs> some Tupperware to sell, and if you'd like to join my multi-level marketing Tupperware network, uh, no. For, for Inferno Gored, I will say that we um, there's a bunch of cool art prints that I think is really worth checking out. We yeah. have some by uh, Nicholas Scott, genuine comics legend and amazing person. Mm-hmm. Uh, Daco Lafuente, who did just iconic work on Ultimate Spider-Man, um, yeah. Francesco Mano, who we're working on with Ultraman, and just like a laundry list of people from all sorts of backgrounds, <laughs> yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. Um, book illustrators, uh, a guy that I, like one of the junior designers at my agency happens mm. to be just a gun designer and a, uh, sorry, a gun <laughs> illustrator. And he was, he was, I was like, can you draw something? He's like, yeah. And then it turned out to be one of the more beautiful pieces that we have. So I think there's something for everyone in that um, mm. mix. And then, Obviously, you have those replica helmets, which are very cool. There's um, you own the original art by Nicholas Scott, um, yeah. but at the heart of it is this 120 page now hardcover uh, exclusive material, exclusive cover package that we're really excited about. So, if you think you'd be into that, go to infernogared.com, and that'll redirect you to the Kickstarter, and you can uh, join us on this this little adventure. Yeah, that's yeah. I think everybody should do that, and. Um... Me too. You're getting quite close to the next stretch goal, right? As well, I think. Yeah, I think we're like um, <laughs> my currency conversion might be a bit off, but like five thousand US dollars, roughly. And the next stretch goal, like I'm pretty pretty jazzed about this. Actually, is a mini like Ashcan style black and white comic um, that tells the story of a different, more mysterious Inferno Go Red, um, and what one of the artists. On uh, we got for Prince was Valeria uh, Favosia, and they did a print that just blew us away. And we knew that we wanted to bring them into the fold 
um, in some way. And we knew that Erica was going to be too busy to do any more pages. So yeah. having this opportunity to sort of like do a bit more world building, sort of like explore a, a little like um, part of the history of this world and also just get mm. some more amazing art to everybody through this and get Flair involved was, yeah, um, was really cool. So we're hoping, I'm feeling good about it, but I'm <laughs> hoping that we hit that and we can include that for free with uh, every physical um, copy of the book. Yeah, no, I, I I like your chances. I think you've done so well at this point that, especially yeah. knowing that Kickstarters tend to get that kind of bump in the final week as well. I think this is, it seems pretty. Uh, yeah, I I have high hopes. So we'll, we'll see. Yeah. I never want to take anything for granted. You know. <laughs> no, of course, but yeah. Um. Well, it has been great talking to you. I um wish you all the best in the final week of Infernal Girl Red. And yeah, thank thank you for joining me. It's been a lot of fun talking to you. Oh, thanks, Zach. I've had I've had a really fun time, so I really appreciate it.